you're listening to the Theology for the Church podcast, a resource that aims to foster serious theological thinking that is framed by the biblical story and applied to the Christian life. I'm your host, Caleb Leonard, and on this show, I cover all kinds of topics and themes in Christian doctrine, biblical theology, and Christian formation through conversations with authors, pastors, biblical scholars, and theologians from across the globe. If you are looking for theologically rich conversations that also have an eye toward applied theology and a heart for the local church, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy and are encouraged by the episodes you find here. Welcome to the Theology for the Church podcast. Today I'm joined by Dr. Dan Doriani, Professor of Biblical and Systematic Theology at Covenant Seminary to discuss the topic of how to apply scripture to our lives. Dr. Doriani has many years of pastoral ministry experience and has authored or co-authored about 20 books, including uh, some that are actually really pertinent to our discussion today as they facilitate interpretation and application of scripture, uh, getting the message and putting the truth to work. Dr. Doriani, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me for this conversation. Well, it's good to be with you, Caleb. Thanks for having me on your program. Yeah, absolutely. You know, before, I'm excited to talk to you about this topic, but maybe before we jump into specific questions about applying scripture, would you mind just sharing a little bit uh, more about yourself for our listeners? How did you get where you are today? Family, educational, ministry involvement, that type of stuff. Yeah. So I was a, <clears throat> a very young adult convert, college freshman convert, and uh, quickly had a zeal for God's word, God's truth, was kind of teaching and maybe even preaching occasionally without a proper license, uh, you know, within a couple of years. And uh, sure. my mentors were urging me to go to seminary, which I did. I always wanted to be a professor, I thought. And so I got a PhD pretty much, I mean, essentially right away right after seminary. And my, uh, my career is basically, or my calling has been, uh, I'm one of those guys that's kind of between being a professor and a pastor. So I've been a pastor full-time for 15 years, but I've also been an interim uh, about eight times for almost eight years in small churches and large churches and mid-sized churches and, and very large churches too. And I'm currently a, an interim in a delightful pretty big church uh, right now. So I'm preaching every week and trying to apply the Bible every week. Uh, so I've been a pastor 15 years and then on the side for about seven or eight. And I've been a professor about 24 years, 25 years, something like that. And generally teach a lot of New Testament and theology with an eye to training, you know, especially young men, women too, but young men for ministry and women not to be ordained, but to enter into ministry positions. Uh, Married about uh, over 40 years. I have three kids, five grandchildren. One is not yet born, but I still count her. She's coming soon. And I have the privilege of uh, saying that my children chose to live in my city. All of them live here in St. Louis. So we're so, so richly blessed in that way. Now, that's that's great. Thanks for sharing that with us. You know, maybe to, to start off, many, many of our listeners are, they're probably familiar with you know, perhaps the inductive Bible study method, at least at a, at a basic level. But would you speak, you know, briefly to how application fits into the overall task of interpreting Scripture and where it finds a home 
uh, in the process? Where, where does application fit into the hermeneutical task in relation to moving from, you know, opening our Bibles, right, to, to teaching or preaching from them? Yeah, so it, it fits, uh, Caleb, at the beginning and the end is maybe the best way to say it. So if we start by reading the Bible very carefully, maybe three or four times, which I recommend, before teaching it or preaching it, and maybe read it in the originals, if we're really paying attention, ideas start to come to mind immediately. And so people often say that application is more caught than taught, or it's vibrant or spirit-led. And what they mean is, as as I read a passage, as you read it, I think of what it means for me, what it, how it challenges me, uh, or directs me or calls me to repent or to lean on the gospel. But I also think if I'm a pastor of the people in my church, maybe people in my neighborhood or relatives or friends who aren't Christians or don't go to my church, you know, this panoply of people I know, uh, we, we start to naturally create correct uh, connections. And that's very spontaneous, and we may be quite sure that's the right thing, or we may think, well, that's just for me, it's not for other people. And so ideally, we don't give too much credit to our spontaneous ideas. We give them credit, but we don't assume that sure. what entered my mind at first blush is the best thing I can possibly say. And so at the end, we also want to pause and make sure that we have tried to address all of our people, not just the people that came to mind when we read the passage, or not just people like ourselves. We also have to remember that we all have our proclivities. So one person may think of application as telling people what to do. And that's great. I mean, people do need to be told what to do. Uh, certainly the Bible has lots of laws and lots of ethical principles and good examples that we're supposed to imitate. Uh, but another person may think constantly about the relationship of this passage to what's happening in the culture today. And they're always talking about the mm -hmm. big picture and how we see things. And then somebody else may be uh, constantly focusing on the heart and character. And, well, you know, you're never going to do the right thing unless your heart is right with God. So we'll talk about that all the time. So um, if we're left to our own devices, we're going to probably hit one of the areas too much and let the other areas of application go. And that's why we need to be, uh, I'll say, systematic or at least have a plan for applying the Bible. And maybe I've talked enough and I'll let you press into that or object or agree or whatever you want to do. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's really, I think that's really helpful. And, you know, to see that we're, we're making those connections the whole time that we're reading and, and processing information and, and things like that. Um, if we think about, you know, kind of, if, if you're in a general, you know, how to study the Bible class, right, often start with, you know, hey, when you read a text, you need to make, you know, observations, right? You need to, think about um, interpreting the text to try to get it, you know, the the meaning of that the original author intended, right? And then try to come up with that, uh, you know, bridge principle to our context, you know, today. And, and then it's okay. And now you're, you know, perhaps ready to, you know, start applying uh, scripture to life, right? And so, I think that we, we all kind of, and obviously the Holy Spirit's playing a role in here, and we'll talk about that in in just a little bit, but I think for, you know, a, a lot of us, sometimes we when we think about, you know, maybe method, right, or, or some type of, uh, you know, skills that we need to learn for applying the Bible, or I think a lot of people may, may be thinking, 
you know, that that would make applications dull or, or boring or predictable or repetitive or, or maybe even seem kind of canned or, or boxing the interpreter into this confined space. And so maybe what, what would you say to someone who believes that or, or something similar to be the case? And and then maybe say, like, what, what, what has to happen before we can actually get to application? Yeah. So <clears throat> I hear two or three questions in there. Um, first of all, the bridge concept is a good one. Um, but some bridges are more um, accessible than others have wider on-ramps, and some are shorter. Sure, yeah. So if it says, you know, the Bible says you should not steal or don't go to bed angry that you're, you know, anybody, um, that's pretty straightforward, you know. <laughs> it's it, You don't have to work real <laughs> yeah. hard yeah. to apply. Okay, what did I do? Did I steal anything from anybody today? Did I steal somebody's mm -hmm. idea pretending it was my own as a pastor? Or did I admit to myself and maybe out loud to the church, hey, I got, this is not my idea. I got this from a book. Um, but sometimes the bridges are harder to make. So, you know, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. And we're sure glad that Paul says this means everybody deserves their wages because I might sure. not have thought of that. <laughs> so sometimes the bridge is easy. Sometimes it's hard. But I really disagree with the idea that we need to avoid methods of interpreting and applying the Bible because it'll make it can't. I think it's it actually creates exactly the opposite. Because mm -hmm. when I listen to people who don't have a method, um, they repeat themselves a lot. Now, they may say things in an interesting way or not, but they'll, you know, people who are kind of churchy will say, this means you need to serve more, be more dedicated, tithe, uh, join a committee, get with this program, start memorizing Bible verses, and they're very churchy. And they don't have a—maybe they say, and also bring your friends to church. And they just repeat that a lot. And then people who are outwardly facing will have their you know, their commentary that they stick with, which includes things like, you know, manifest your faith at work and be involved in your neighborhood. But even, even more than that, they get stuck, as I said earlier, tend to get stuck in— what I, I, I say there are four questions we should ask, which I think you know. Mm -hmm. And the first question is, what should I do? What does the law of God require, the will of God require? Great question. Im imperative question. But people get stuck there unless they say there are other questions to ask. And the other questions include character, which ultimately is primary, right? You, you're never, you can't, you can't yeah. do good. You, a, good a bad tree <laughs> cannot bear good fruit. Mm -hmm. So you, know, you need to be united to Christ to do things that are truly good. And then, of course, we tend to neglect, most pastors tend to neglect somewhat um, what I call the third category, where should we go? And that is what goals and purposes should we adopt? A lot of that's pastoral work that's private, where you guide people in their life. But you need to talk about God's big purposes in the world. And if you don't remind yourself, you won't. And similarly, some of us at least need to be reminded that uh, there's a clash of visions and you know there's the way a secular person or a person of this age as the bible would say thinks and speaks and sees the world and there's a way a christian does and most christians that come to church you know once or twice a month have a whole lot of secular ideas and you had cuz they're taking them in all day long and they're at church they're listening but they're only at church an hour or two a month, and you have to address those if you want to reach any anyone except your most dedicated people. So 
you need a method to remind yourself. And for Caleb, I go over my sermon every week at the end and say, okay, did I, did I simply uh, stay in my favorite topics or did mm-hmm. I try to address the, the panoply of issues that the church needs to hear about? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really helpful. And just thinking through, you know, is someone who's a, you know, preacher or who teaches the the Bible consistently, whatever that looks like in people's church context, sometimes that's a Sunday school class. Sometimes that's in small groups of just looking at uh, the, these four, these four questions here. And so maybe we'll just jump in, you know, a little bit more deeply into, into these, you know, four, four questions is, you know, as you're teaching the Bible, uh, is there a certain, you know, certain grid, like you use these four questions, but when you come to a particular text, uh, in, in taking into account, you know, my, am, am I preaching a narrative or mm-hmm. is this a New Testament mm-hmm. epistle? You know, is this the wisdom, right. you know, literature? Are, are teachers going to find that, you know, some of these questions are maybe the, the volumes turned up a little bit more mm-hmm. in, in these particular things. And, and, and I don't need to feel like I've got to throw all four of these in every right, time. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. what, what's that kind of look like just from you know your experience in, in teaching the Bible over the years? Yeah, it's a great question. So if you're in a book like Romans, and Caleb, you may know this, the first imperative in Romans is until chapter 16, get a few in Sorry, chapter 6, verses 11 to 14, you finally get some imperatives. So you're not going to get a whole lot of commands. You're not going to get a whole lot <laughs> yeah. of what to do sure. in Romans 1 to 6. is constantly addressing your heart, right? What's your mind? Of course, it starts with sin. And then, you know, we have to ask, do the sins that are described in Romans 118 to 320 reside in me? The answer is to some degree, yes. To some degree, no. Because chapters four, five, and six, I'm united to Christ. I'm part of the new race with Adam. The old man, still there to some degree, but we're fundamentally united to Christ in his life. So that's going to talk much more about our character. If you're in a book like Proverbs or Psalms, certainly there are things we're told to do, like praise the Lord, O my soul. Um, Proverbs doesn't have a lot of commands. It says, look at the way the world is, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't say work hard. It says, go look at that sluggard over there. See what happens when you're a sluggard. So that's yeah, that's you know that's much more. How do you see the world? And isn't it kind of wise even to laugh at some of the follies of you know giving a task to a fool and so on? Um, of course, if you're in the Sermon on the Mount or or um, I don't know Ephesians four, five, and six, you're going to have a lot of commands, and those need to be proclaimed plainly. So yes, the volume is turned up at times beyond a shadow of a doubt. But um, I think you always have to address the character question. Are you aware that you're, you're united to Christ? Are you looking around? Are you seeing the, the Bible narratives, which are fundamentally story of what God does in the world's story of redemption? But, but we do also have, Paul says explicitly, uh, warnings in the pages of Scripture and examples to imitate. They're not always clear. You've got to work harder. Um, but if you take your time and meditate, you will see them. And, and so they should have a place, even if it's a lesser place. So in short, all four questions every sermon? No. But every month or two, all four questions? Yeah, sure. 
And it is a maybe someone who teaches a, a mixed audience, right? You have men and women. You might have uh, youth group age kids to you know to to senior adults. Um, how how does that kind of factor into to these questions as well as you're thinking about? You know, I want to I want to address uh, character. I want to address duty and goals and, and discernment, right? In these in these four questions, and, and then also think about well, what does that look like? as a high schooler what's that look like is my my life in you know retirement as i'm looking across a congregation and congregations are diverse and and some are younger than others some are very mixed there's different uh, cultural backgrounds and and some some churches have a lot more diversity and and those type of things what what does that look like yeah so um one thing that may sound strange that i try to do is is actually Picture certain people, individuals, if I'm preaching in a church on a regular basis, and ask, what would this person want to know? And I try to have gender and age and, um, I'll say, uh, maturity variances in mind as I think about that. Sometimes I say I I try to preach to an intelligent 11-year-old because, you know, they're not caught up in identity and so forth there's you know they got that maximum childhood intelligence sure and and if i can if i think i would really have lost this 11 year old for 15 minutes then i i know i need to simplify and add an illustration that would capture their imagination um so yes you have to think about the diversity of your of your audience the church i'm preaching in right now uh and i'm preaching there for kind of close to a year and a half by now as an interim is a community church. It's an evangelical Presbyterian church, but its title is Green Tree Community Church, and it is a community church. Um, it's a pretty big church, and um, it's, uh, if I may say so, probably the only evangelical church for a couple miles around. Hmm. And it's a very outreach-oriented church. It has like a harvest party anybody can come to, and it has food giveaways, uh, just a lot of things. VBS the whole city, the whole town comes. Yeah, yeah. So um, on Easter, attendance goes up everywhere, but it goes way up at Green Tree Church because it's the only church a lot of people know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also true that they come at Mother's Day and Christmas and beginning of the school year, and a lot of them do kind of come back. So we have more unbelievers than average. So I address sure. unbelievers every week, even if only for a minute. Maybe not every week. Nine nine weeks out of ten, I'll explicitly address unbelievers. If you're in a community that doesn't get many visitors for whatever reason, you might say, I'm going to address unbelievers every other week or every third week. I don't know. It varies. But certainly, certainly, whatever age you are, you want to make sure you have other ages in your mind. Otherwise, a 60-year-old is just going to lean towards 60-year-olds, and a 30-year-old is going to lean toward 30-year-olds and constantly be talking about new marriage and children and leave other people out. One way to do this, Caleb, I'm, I'm just going to take a guess you do this. You know, we don't read man. I'm guessing you don't read a manuscript. Maybe you do. Um, but if you don't read a manuscript, you just keep looking. And some people say, don't look at the people, look above, because they'll distract you if you see somebody who's, you know, not engaged or something. Or they're just staring at you too much and you think, oh yeah. my goodness. <laughs> um, I believe in looking people in the eye. And I'll, I'll look in the different spots in the church. Um, you know, somebody front left, 
front right, back right, etc. And that, I think, also can help us to see individual people. Even if we don't change the sermon on the spot as we look at Luke or Mary, sure. we have Luke or Mary in our mind because we look at them week by week. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really really helpful, and you know, kind of kind of thinking uh, shift a little bit here, but just just thinking, we, we talked about the different genres, mm-hmm. right? Playing playing scripture, uh, maybe the volumes turned up particularly uh, in in these certain areas more so than others, and then we're, we're looking at just demographics of of a classroom or mm-hmm. a sanctuary, things like that, and and now I just I wanted to ask you. Um, how does, you know, preaching the whole counsel of God, so thinking like Genesis through, you know, Revelation, you know, also, you know, thinking about, you know, our theological interpretation of Scripture, uh, but just thinking as is, is I'm planning classes, as I'm um, looking at a preaching calendar, it, the, all of us maybe feel more skilled in certain genres uh, th- than others, right? We're more comfortable in New Testament letters that, or, or something like that, perhaps. Uh, but what would your challenge be to those who regularly preach and teach the Bible uh, to you know, preach from all of Scripture to help them become better at applying uh, scripture in general, right? So it, maybe would you just elaborate uh, for our listeners a little bit more? How does God-centered Christ-centered application of the whole of Scripture aid us in becoming, you know, more robust, dynamic, helpful, you know, maybe even faithfully creative in our application of Scripture? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. So, in, in short form, it's good to preach through books of the Bible and to make sure you're not always in the Old Testament or always in the New Testament. And as you're hinting, it, for most people, epistles are the easiest and maybe maybe the Psalms would be equally easy. Maybe some uh, people would have different ideas, but uh, those are generally considered easier to preach on. And uh, you know, people have done surveys of how many sermons are on narrative, and it's really remarkably few percentage-wise. Even though the Bible is, in a sense, the whole Bible is one narrative, and sure. in about thirty-eight or forty percent of the time, the genre is narrative. So. You know, I think it's good just to go over a span of three years. I like to plan my sermons out for months in advance and say, okay, we're going to do a gospel for six months, and then we'll come back to it in a year, year and a half. And we'll do, you know, Pentateuch for a few months. And I tend to do uh, Psalms or Wisdom most summers, partly because it lends itself to people coming and going, you know. Sure. Um Certainly, it's good to do it to spend time in epistles and prophets as well. Honestly, everybody has a, a propensity or an attraction, and I probably preach the prophets the least, which means I have to make sure I preach on the prophets. <laughs> I review <Yeah. laughs> what I've been yeah. doing for the last three years, and I say, ah, there's no prophets, so I need to get into the prophets, right? So it's partly a matter of... Um, watching yourself, being candid about your interests. I do believe it's good to uh, run it by your elders in your church or deacons to your board who advises. I, I do believe that it's right for a pastor to tell the elders or the deacons boards, this is what I plan to preach on over the next year. Is that okay? What do you think? Do you have any input? 
and you should listen to the answer, not just expect them to say, hey, whatever you say, boss. Make it clear that you sure, actually want yeah. input from them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's I think that's wise and and really helpful. And you know, we've been talking about you know the the people up front uh, for for most of the conversation, right? The person teaching the class, the the preacher standing in the pulpit. Help us understand how the everyday Bible reader can apply these concepts to their reading of Scripture. How how can a busy mom or dad benefit from? this discussion or, or what would you say to someone just reading uh, for their own spiritual enrichment? How do the things we've touched on in this conversation help them in personal application of scripture and in say, you know, maybe family worship and, and more discipleship uh, settings? Yeah, great question. Thanks. So uh, first of all, all believers should read the Bible regularly and slowly and meditatively and carefully. Because, you know, it is a light to our path, and it's uh, God is true, and he leads us into all truth, and so we should cherish the opportunity to be corrected and directed and to recognize where our mindsets are at variance with God's wisdom. So that's a good daily practice. I, I, the book, um, Getting the Message, actually wrote for Sunday school teachers and Bible study leaders and ordinary Christians who would probably hardly ever teach, maybe just one-on-one or small group, not really mm-hmm. pastors. And the point I make is that a lot of the most basic steps is, are highly accessible. You know, observe and notice the context, and here's how you figure out what a word might mean, even if you don't know Greek or Hebrew. And uh, slow down and look up things you don't know. We live in a day when so many resources, study Bibles, good sources online as well. So that's all good and can be done, but I would say it is good for an ordinary person to ask the most fundamental questions you kind of can't forget. What does this passage teach me about the Lord and his ways? Now, those ways include ways of salvation, but also his ways that flow from his character, which then informs my character and my ways of living. So, you know, God is faithful, right? When the disciples um, faltered and failed Jesus again and again, yeah. at one point he says, how long do I have to put up with you? And I <laughs> yeah. think that's great. There's a place for godly exasperation. I'm happy to know that. Um, but he also didn't say, but just all of you, go back. Go back to your homes. I mean, I need some new disciples. Yeah. He was faithful. <laughs> yeah. And we are faithful when somebody exasperates us. Maybe it's... Uh, Somebody we work with who's asked the same question seven times in the last two weeks, or a child that keeps misbehaving in the same way. Um, Jesus is faithful. And when we see the ways of Jesus, forgiving and faithful, not afraid to rebuke or correct, then we think, okay, um, that means that I have received the rebuke and the forgiveness of the Lord, and I should show forgiveness and, if necessary, love people enough to correct them. Mm -hmm. Right? And not just be angry at them and blow them off or cancel them. So that's, a, that's, a, that's one example. But what are God's ways? Who, what is God like and what are his ways? That's always going to inform us about our life as Christians. And we can ask, you know, is there something in this passage that I should do? And is there something, as I see who Jesus is, see who the Father and the Spirit are, what does this tell me about who I am in Christ? 
those are pretty basic questions that anybody can ask, and you can get a lot of value out of that. No, I, I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, we have uh, me and my wife just, just had another baby, and so he's three months old, right? So she feels – Thank you. And she, I mean, she feels that right now of, you know, between doing this and that and also having a toddler and, you know, it, where, where's the space? Like, where's the time to, you know, do that? And we've talked about, it's like, look, the, the Lord knows, you know, your, your situation and your schedule and, and these things and, and what's doable or not, you know? And even if you only have just a few minutes to, to open up somewhere and, ask the Lord to reveal himself to you in his word and to ask questions like, like you just mentioned, you know, that doesn't have to be, you know, that the pastor to study for 20 hours to get something out of, you know, a, a biblical passage, right. That the, the Lord can speak to you in, in your prayer of, of desperation of like, you know, I, I need you. I, I need to feel uh, ministered to by, by your word, right. This is where I come to hear the voice of God and, that he hears that prayer and he's, and he's faithful to uh, reveal himself there to offer encouragement or correction uh, to, to help us, right? You could even ask, you know, let's say it's a mother, you, could, you know, she could ask dad, hey, while I'm changing this diaper or nursing or rocking a baby to sleep or whatever it is that she's doing, would you read a few verses to me? Or, mm. or she could meditate mm-hmm. on something that uh, she knows perfectly well. You could go to Genesis 1 or Psalm 23 or Psalm 1 or some portion of Jesus' life and teachings. I, I'm, I was just turning, you probably saw, to my Bible. Um, so a while ago, my wife and I, a few months ago, were just going through the Psalms. And totally non-technical. We're just reading through the Psalms mm-hmm. and asking, you know, how does this speak to us today? And we, and we came early on to 11.3, which asks a question. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now you may say, well, that's hardly a that sounds kind of depressing. <laughs> but yeah. at that moment, it was a word that mm. I needed, that God understands our frustration with mm. foundations being destroyed in our culture. It feels that way, certainly to a large extent right now. What can the righteous do? It's it doesn't say the righteous can do nothing, right? Mm-hmm. It says, what can the righteous do? The answer is maybe. Not much, but on the other hand, the next verse is, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men, etc. So what can we do? Well, we can still believe that God is in heaven, right? And that's comforting, even if you see people apparently going berserk in our culture, whichever issue you want to tackle that seems like we're going berserk. What can the righteous do? We can remember that God's in heaven. Mm. And that was, you know, that was uh, 30 seconds with, with no yeah. planning, right? <laughs> but just, just reading. And I think you don't have to be a, a trained scholar to do that. Just a Christian who reads expectantly, right? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you you sharing that from from your own experience recently. It's It's really helpful. And I wanted to ask you, also, it, this could apply to the preacher, the teacher. It could be someone discipling someone one-on-one. Uh, you know, God God gives people spiritual life, right, w- without our aid, yet he uses us in our teaching and in preaching as the primary means by which 
you know, human beings are called to salvation. So we think of, you know, in Romans 10, you know, 13 through 15, right? Uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but, right, you know, how, how then can they call on the one who they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent, right? It is, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? So uh, could you speak to our role and God's role in the process of of, of seeking to apply the scriptures uh, and, and people's responses to hearing the word of God being applied to their lives, you know, maybe both in the initial reception of the gospel and receiving the gift of faith, but also in just ongoing transformation as they're progressively sanctified, you know, through the word, by the spirit, in community with other believers, you know, in, in, in their congregation, maybe you'd say it a short way. Um, how do God, the text, the interpreter and the audience really relate to, to one another. Right. And and, cause I think you asked that question in, in, in some of your, some of your writing, I really like that. Right. I like that, uh, the way to think through that. So it just, how, how do they relate to one another in the process of application? So let me answer this two ways. Again, first of all, uh, Paul was writing in the age of the explosion of the church and its mission. And, you know, he was missionary. This is, this is a missional task that he describes in chapter 10 and people did walk, right? Their their dirty, cracked, ugly feet were beautiful (laughs) because they were walking down the Appian way in the Roman empire to cities that had no gospel presence at all, no church. So we should remember we're still in a missional age. Um, God is building his church. He's taking it to Southeast Asia, China, Cambodia, Laos, Philippines, Indonesia, which actually has millions and millions of Christians, Um, you know, Cameroon and Congo and Ethiopia and more. So the church is growing and we should send people there. One of my good friends in ministry, Bob Yarborough, and I, we're both profs. We both do missional trips. Mm -hmm. We both both suspect that we do more good in two weeks abroad than we do in in 48 weeks (laughs) in the States. Sure. Where there's so many seminaries and so many resources. So let's not forget that. Send people out, you know, send people into the world, not to plant churches. The people in Congo don't need us to plant churches. They need us to help them get resources into their language, maybe start their seminaries, and then trust them and get out when, or, um, when the time comes. A pastor or a leader has... We don't, we don't have visuals here, but a pastor or leader has sort of a, an in-between role, like... We compare it to a midwife, since you just had a baby and one of my daughters is going to have a baby soon. A midwife isn't strictly necessary for birth, but it helps. And it may help a great deal because birth is difficult. Or an obstetrician isn't strictly necessary. People have babies in, you know, rice paddies and back yeah. cars and so <laughs> yeah. forth. Um, but it helps. So our role is to be a helper. And we do two things. If you say, if you, just for the sake of this discussion, you put the preacher teacher in the middle, and you've got the text, let's say, on the left side and the audience or the people you're teaching on the right side, it's our job to loop to the text, through the text, and read the text, always mindful that we're carrying it, we're leading it to the people, we're going to take it to the people. Meanwhile, as we talk to our people, we're listening, what's going on in their life? 
What are they revealing about themselves, about their struggles, and what's happening in the culture in general, as well as whatever's occurring in our church at the moment, our local church, I mean. And you're constantly asking, how can I take their questions and needs and concerns to the Bible? So you're always taking the Bible to the people, and you're taking the people to the Bible. You're doing both. If all you want to do is say, the Bible says, and the people need to hear it, you're probably not going to address people's needs. Some people get very concerned when pastors spend too much time addressing felt needs. But Jesus addressed felt needs all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when people said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm blind. I'm a leper. Jesus did not say, oh, it's just your felt need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He met their need. It was very intensely felt. And a lot of his teaching corrects errors of his day, legalism and, and um, excessive regulations and expecting to do things to obtain God's favor. And so those are very much addressing needs, whether people felt them with accuracy, that's a different question. So we address felt needs. We help people sort their needs and say, well, you think you need this, like a child, you know, you think you need candy, but actually you need an apple. And unfortunately, immature Christians are like that sometimes. They'll say, I think I need to be happy. You need to help me be happy. You may say, well, happiness is good, but it's not our primary goal. Our primary goal is Mm -hmm. holiness and faithfulness and endurance and so forth. So, we do address people's needs even as we sift their needs to some degree. But always it's an interplay. The script, you help the scripture speak to the people and you help people um, understand what they need to receive out of scripture as you understand, maybe better than they do at times, what they need to hear as you let their concerns register. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really helpful. And and a lot of times, you know, I've I've found that you know, it's talked probably more about, at least the things that I've read, you know, the the spirits, you know, illuminating the text for, you know, believers, right, to, to be able to under or, or illuminating the, the believer, giving them eyes to see, you know, scripture and help, helping them apply that, you know, to their lives, right? So we, we spoke about uh, the, the preacher's role in helping, you know, apply apply the text. What, what does scripture tell us about um, the the Holy Spirit, you know, using uh, the the text in you know our lives, and, and then you know how how does the Spirit uh, use the the preacher as an instrument in in His hands to you know that's kind of what we just talked about, right? That we're we're an instrument in His hands to help people apply the Scripture. But what's the the Holy Spirit's role in that? Well, the Holy Spirit blows where He wills. And it's hard to say, um, you know, Caleb, I'm sure you've had the experience of teaching something five times, and the sixth time somebody says, oh, Pastor, it was wonderful. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Say, well, actually, you heard it a month ago. Um, but, of course, you didn't hear it for, you know, you weren't ready for it, or, you know, the Spirit opened your eyes. Maybe that person was praying. So, uh, of course, when someone repents— for the first time. That's an act of God quickening. We believe in regeneration by the Holy Spirit to um, to make the soil, you know, parable of soils, to make the parable explicit, to make our hearts like soil that's receptive to the Word of God. So we don't really know exactly how the Holy Spirit works, but we certainly see it 
as people suddenly lay hold yeah. of the truth, become excited, or, or repent radically and become Christians after a life of unbelief. So the Spirit is alive, and um, maybe that's enough. Maybe I'll just stop there. Uh, I, yeah. I thought you were going to say something a little bit different, and that is, you know, how does a preacher— I'm just going to make one other comment. And that yeah, is, yeah, go for it. That, uh, you know, the preacher's task is— the teacher's task is, of course, to teach well and be faithful and, you know, cut out extraneous things that would bore people. They're interesting to you, but not others. But it's also true that the teacher and preacher's life is informative as we uh, follow Christ. We, you know, as Paul says, we're like, we're like stars shining in this age. And sometimes, you know, the, Jesus is the sun, S-O-N and S-U-N. And it's, it's almost too bright to look at Jesus sometimes. So people look at those whom they admire, and they begin to understand what it means to follow Jesus by looking at someone else who follows Jesus, even if imperfectly. And how that works is amazing because, you know, our lives are flawed in all sorts of ways, but God can use us a moment of maybe tenderness that Nobody sees us doing something nice for somebody, we think, but somebody does, and that somehow speaks to them by God's grace. Yeah, I think it's always always uh, fascinating, and, and sometimes, if we're honest, it can be you know frustrating where you know, maybe you preach something and, and you see that you know, a certain application, you know, someone you know, says, you know, like, you know, you know praise, praise the Lord, like this, this really spoke to me, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, and it was really something, you're like, that's... Um, I'm, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that the Lord used to that. But then the same thing could be something that just makes somebody so frustrated and angry, <laughs> you know, and then discerning as a, you know, a teacher, as a preacher, you know, is, is there issue with, uh, you know, conviction from the, from the Holy Spirit, yeah. you know, is it a certain, is, or is it uh, something that, you know, may, maybe it's like, okay, maybe that wasn't as tactful, right? And maybe, maybe there's a personality thing, you know, happening, you know, here and, and just, and just seeing that, you know, the, there's going to be different responses um, to like our teaching and in our application and in any given classroom, you know, that could be super meaningful and, and the spirits using it to, to transform someone in a positive way, but it could also be used as a, as a cattle prod in somebody else's you know, heart and in mind to, to drive them in, in a particular, you know, direction. And, and so just, you know, thinking about the, the type of, you know, tough, tough shell, but tender heart that, that a teacher, you know, and preacher has to, has to have, you know, you want to have the heart of a dove, but you got to have some tough, you know, thick skin to be able to also not uh, believe your own hype at, at times when people seem to, you know, think like, oh, this is awesome. That was life transforming. But then also not also read too much into, uh, you know, I, I think you're awful. That was terrible. You know, whatever that looks like. It, anything you, you'd have uh, like comments on on that, thoughts on that? Well, I think it's certainly true that um, pastors can't quite understand why they resonate with or people get so much out. One person gets so much out of a sermon, another doesn't. I do think a great deal that's personality driven. I'm not a big believer in any, I don't believe at all, actually, in most personality tests, but there's, there is something going on. That is to say, sure, a person who likes a lively debate will resonate better with 
somebody who also, also likes a lively debate and someone who's, you know, very emotive and, and, you know, wants to know, pastor, you got to tell us more about your heart. Well, um, that's, I'm not going to divulge myself endlessly. And then, and then you don't connect with them because my job is not to preach myself. I say, well, I understand that, mm-hmm. but you tell us more about what you're feeling. So you're not going to resonate with that person as much. I'm going to just share a very, uh, a, a striking anecdote that I think is helpful. So, um, Exactly one time in my life, I decided to ask somebody a question when they said this to me. Um, oh, pastor, I've been coming to your church for the last eight months. And I could see this person. I mean, they were in the last row, but they were glued. They were just boring in on me. And then they slowly moved up more and more. And then they talked to me. And I said, I know they're, they're going to tell me something about life yeah. transformation because, you know, they're just wrapped in attention. Okay. So they say, uh, Pastor, I've been going to church for, you know, 12 years, and I've, I've never heard the gospel till I came here. And, you know, I've heard the gospel, received the gospel, believe the gospel. I'm so thrilled with your ministry. Thank you so much. And there was just something in me that did compel me to ask the question, and where did you go to church? I would never ask that question, but I just thought I had to. And uh, they, they named the church they went to. And not only do I know the pastor at that church, he preaches the gospel faithfully week after week. And this person, we'll call this person Jerry, was listening to Joe for 10 years and never heard a thing Joe was saying. And then somehow he came and, and Joe's a good preacher. Don't misunderstand. It's not like Joe's inept. He's got a good, vibrant, growing church. He's very intelligent. He works hard. Everything he can ask for. Totally orthodox. Totally evangelical. And then, and then this young man comes to our church, and he hears the gospel for, for, for the first time. What's, what's that all about? That's, <laughs> yeah. that's about the Holy Spirit. It's about him being ready. And somehow, something or other I said was catalytic, but that, that wasn't my work, because the other pastor was preaching faithfully for 10 years, right? Yeah. So I'm glad I asked him that question just because the answer was so... I mean, I think I was prompted by God to ask that question because it was so revealing right yeah absolutely and that, and that's just a, a really good you know word for, i think for us to end on is is we're thinking about applying you know scripture you know we want to be faithful in study we want to draw good applications that are that are robust that are diverse but also remember that the character of the teacher and preacher is is primary right that there has to be that drive to study that drive to teach others uh, but also uh, you know the the greatness of a preacher or a theologian or a teacher is is their heart you know how, how is their their study affecting and changing and challenging and, and transforming them to where it drives them to their knees to to worship the Lord and, and have that flow out in in their passion to to teach and, and preach the the word of God and so I think that's a that's a really helpful uh, place to kind of land on on this conversation but you have any other thoughts or, or comments anything else you'd want to share before I ask you about a couple of resources uh, no it's great thanks these are good questions Caleb I appreciate your uh, you know your topics and your your way of expressing yourself. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I've, I've enjoyed our, our conversation a lot. So before I before I let you go here, uh, I'm going to link to your books, Putting the Truth to Work, The Theory and Practice of Biblical Application, 
and getting the message, a plan for interpreting, applying the Bible in the show notes here. Would there be maybe a couple of other resources that you would recommend uh, that our listeners consider picking up that would help them in the area of biblical application that, that you found particularly helpful in your ministry and work? Yeah, I would say my first thought is uh, Tim Keller's book, Preaching, which I've probably read twice over the last number of years. It's, it is not ostensibly a book primarily about preaching, but it's uh, definitely a book about preaching um, for the sake of the good of the people, the city, the church, the world, and the heart. I'll mention somebody who preaches sometimes and isn't really a preaching expert. His uh, name is Jonathan Pennington. And uh, he's uh, prof- he's a Southern Baptist Reformed like you uh, man and uh, a very good writer. And he wrote a book called Reading the Gospels Wisely. And in that book, he spends a lot of time exploring. It's a little bit heady. It's kind of it's it's not for the average layperson. Sure, pastors more. Um, but it has a lot about reading the Gospels wisely, meaning not only getting the message correct, doing the proper exegesis, but also understanding how it speaks to our life. And he, um, you know, it's, it's got a lot of detail, and so it's very strong in that way. Of course, John Stott's great book, The Cross of Christ, is always going to be worth reading or re-skimming, at least. So those would be three resources I'll mention. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. And Dr. Doriani, I really appreciate you for joining me for this conversation about uh, biblical application and how we can apply scripture to life and the lives of others. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Caleb. Listeners, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Share it with your friends and give it a good review, whether written or just clicking some stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps others find this show that may be interested in gospel-centered resources like this one. Also, if you have an idea for an episode or someone you'd like for me to interview, please reach out to me and let me know. Thank you, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you.